Welcome to Creep Shows, where we discuss films that are just generally discomforting. I'm Ian. And I'm Madeline. And today we're talking about Mother, the Darren Aronofsky film from sometime in the past. What is it, 2017, 2018? Uh, like I think it was 2017. Yeah. This one was a little bit out of my wheelhouse. <laughs> I'm really excited to talk about this one. Um, we watched this movie on Vudu, thanks to best friend of the podcast, Pablo. Pablo. Thank you for that. Um, if you have Hulu with like the live TV, I think it's like the most expensive Hulu uh, top tier. Uh, you can watch it on that, but we don't have that. So yeah, we're not that fancy. No. Uh, we do have HBO, though, so... So, are we that fancy? Uh, no, we're really not. Okay, I, I guess right. um, So, if you don't have anything, Ian, I'm going to jump into this week's summary. Well, by all means, summarize away. All right. So, I cheated this week, kind of. I cheated this week. And I used Wikipedia for my summary. Hey, um, been there, done that. Because none of the characters in this movie have names um and i didn't know how to summarize this movie in a concise way that wasn't extremely confusing um yeah i didn't think i had the storytelling skills to (laughs) redo this one so i turned to wikipedia so here we go it's definitely one of those yeah in the burnt out remains of a large house him, an acclaimed poet struggling with writer's block, places a crystal object on a pedestal in his study. The ruined house morphs into a lovely home in an Edenesque landscape. In bed, Mother, the poet's wife and muse, awakens and wonders aloud where him is. While renovating the house, she starts seeing things that unsettle her, including visualizing a beating heart within its walls. One day, a stranger referred to as Man turns up at the house asking for a room and claiming to be a local doctor. Him readily agrees, and Mother reluctantly follows suit. During his stay, Man suffers coughing fits, and Mother observes an open wound in his side. Soon, Man's wife, Woman, also arrives to stay. Mother is increasingly frustrated with her guest, but Him begs her to let them stay, revealing that Man is a fan whose dying wish was to meet him. However, when Woman and Man accidentally shatter the crystal object which him had forbidden them to touch mother kicks them out and him boards up his study before man and woman can leave their two sons arrive and fight over their father's will the oldest son who will be left with nothing severely wounds the younger brother and flees him man and woman take the injured son for help alone in the house mother follows a trail of blood to find a tank of heating oil hidden behind the basement walls Upon returning, him informs mother the son has died. Dozens of people arrive at the house to honor the dead son. They behave in rude and presumptuous ways that irritate mother. She snaps when they break a sink, partially flooding the house. She orders everyone out and berates him for allowing so many people inside while ignoring her needs. Their argument ends in passionate lovemaking. The next morning, mother announces she is pregnant. The news elates him and inspires him to finish his work. Mother prepares for the arrival of their child and reads him's beautiful new poem. Upon publication, it immediately sells out every copy. In celebration, mother prepares a big dinner, but a group of fans arrive at the house before they can eat. She tells her... Sorry... 
She asks him to send them away, but he insists he has to be polite and show his appreciation and tells her he will return soon. Mother tries to lock the doors, but more fans arrive and enter the house where many began to use the toilet. They start stealing things as souvenirs and damaging the house, but him is oblivious due to the adulation he is receiving. Hundreds of people fill the house and an increasingly disoriented mother watches it evolve into chaos. Military forces battle a cult of frenzied fans who tear rooms apart and engage in religious rituals. Amidst gunfire and explosions, the Herald, the poet's publicist, organizes mass executions. Mother goes into labor and finds him. He takes her to his study, which he reopens so she can give birth there. The havoc outside subsides. Him tells mother his fans want to see their newborn son. She refuses and holds her son tightly. When she falls asleep, however, him takes their child outside to the crowd, which passes the baby around wildly until his neck is inadvertently snapped. Mother wades into the crowd where she sees people eating her son's mutilated corpse. Furious, she calls them murderers and stabs them with a shard of glass. They turn on her, voraciously, viciously beating and attempting to strangle her until him intervenes. He implores mother to forgive them, but she escapes, makes her way to the basement oil tank, and punctures it with a wrench pipe. Despite her husband's pleas, she sets the oil alight. It explodes, destroying the crowd, the house, and the surrounding environment. Mother and him survive. She is horrifically burned while him is completely unscathed. He asks for her love, and she agrees. He tears open her chest and removes her heart. As he crushes the heart with her hands, a new crystal object is revealed. He places it on its pedestal, and once again, the house is transformed from a burnt-out shell into a beautiful home. In bed, a new mother appears and wakes up, wondering aloud where him is. The end. Yeah, this movie was a trip. Yeah, uh, it also stressed me out. A lot. Yeah, I remember. The whole home invasion thing, kind of again. Not so much home invasion, but just completely losing control over your own home. That stresses me the fuck out. Yeah, I can understand that. That, that kind of makes sense with how the director kind of likes to handle things. Yeah, speaking of the director, I know you did some research on him. Yeah, so... This film, as I've covered in previous podcasts, it's it a lot of it's based in religion, as I'm sure Madeline's going to dive into in a bit. Um, that's something I'm not super familiar with, other than what's been introduced in pop culture, which I will also talk about in a bit. Uh, so for me, what I found really interesting about this film is kind of why it was made and how it was made. And a lot of that comes down to the writer and director, Darren Aronofsky. So... He's probably most well-known for directing Oscar-nominated films and one that won an Oscar, uh, Black Swan. So Black Swan won an Oscar. And then he also did The Wrestler and Requiem for a Dream. Those are two of his other Oscar contenders. Um, He's typically associated with, like, a storytelling that can be deceptive to an audience that doesn't look below the surface. Often it focuses on inner conflict of the characters and how they change as a result of just sort of the events of the film that they're in and on a lot of the time they even dip into surrealism especially for like notably poignant events in the characters stories so that's definitely present in this film the surrealism is it not madeline 
Oh yeah, it definitely is. There's so much surrealism. There's so much symbolism too. Um, there's a lot to this movie. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot there, to it. <laughs> there's a there's a whole heck of a lot to it. So some of the interesting things that I found about Aronofsky. So he actually went to Harvard, which was kind of cool to find out. Okay. Do you know what he like got a degree in or what yeah, he studied? He majored in social anthropology. And so while he was there at Harvard getting a degree in social anthropology, he also studied film and made friends with some people that he would later actually have star in his films. Okay. But, so he got his uh, degree in social anthropology that from Harvard. That makes a lot of sense, actually. And later on, he actually went to the AFI Conservatory in Los Angeles. It's the uh, American Film Institute. It's a super fancy film school, basically. And he got his Master of Fine Arts in directing there. Oh, so wow. the dude's okay. got a, an educational pedigree that is definitely, I think, reflected in his work for how kind of mindfucky it all is. Yeah, and just even based off this one film, I can see how social anthropology right? plays a part. You can into see exactly how it plays into his storytelling. Yeah. And like, if you ever watch any of his other films, which I know you said you haven't, uh, I'm I, sure we will. I certainly though, recommend eventually. them. Um, they're really interesting. They make you think, but. So one of his friends from Harvard uh, actually plays the main character in what I think was his first like full on feature length film. It's called Pi. I know it's the one that I talked about before. Um, but yeah, one of his Harvard buddies ended up playing the main character in Pi. And then kind of on like a side note with his educational history, the AFI Conservatory gives an alumni award um, basically to someone that they find has good taste in filmmaking and this is an award called the franklin j schaffner award so it's been given out since 1991 darren aronofsky actually won it in 2001 but madeline i want you to take a wild fucking guess as to who the first recipient of the franklin j schaffner award was in 1991 when it came out when it first first started being given just what based off your tone, wild guess based off your tone i want to guess because you know how much i hate them both either harvey weinstein or roman polanski no luckily none of those shits oh then who was it david motherfucking lynch <laughs> that was my next yeah. guess it actually <laughs> was lynch. but based off your tone i thought it was gonna be like a shit bag oh uh, yeah well, funnily enough that you mentioned Roman Polanski, oh, that's no. actually one of, and of course, one of the influences that Darren Aronofsky has cited on some of his films. I want to say it was um, Requiem for a Dream. I, I read a bunch of interviews with the guy. He's fascinating. Um, but I want to say, yeah, that he, he cited Rosemary's Baby as a huge influence on some of his other films. Everyone does. I mean, of course. we thought we were watching Rosemary's Baby too at the beginning we of We really this movie. did. Like, it definitely gave that. me that vibe. It, I really got that Rosemary's Baby vibe. I did too. No, yeah. you beat me to saying that. <laughs> so, like, so we know he likes Roman Polanski. In other films that he's made, he's also cited influence for, influences from Akira Kurosawa, which I know that I've gone on length to you about how fucking fantastic that man's films are he was a a japanese writer and director was he seven samurai yeah he did seven samurai attention. yeah he did a lot of other really good ones it, too but seven samurai is probably his most 
well known because it's been remade a bajillion different ways. Like uh, The Magnificent Seven, that cowboy movie that they've also remade like four times. That was based on Seven Samurai. Oh, but yeah. Anyway. I saw the most recent remake of that one, and I actually kind of liked it. Wasn't that the one with uh, Star-Lord? Star-Lord, and I think it also had Samuel L. Jackson. It had a really like I big I never cast. saw it. Yeah. It, I'm not super interested in remakes of remakes of remakes most of the time, unless they do something really cool. I don't but know. I was, that's just a personal when thing. When I saw it, I wasn't the one who picked that movie, but... <laughs> so... Some of the interviews that I found with Aronofsky, um, I there was a lot to comb through. And it's typically the ones that I found were always in response to his other movies, like after Pie, after Requiem for a Dream, Black Swan. And uh, he actually did a lot of interviews after he made one of his more recent films, Noah. What's that a story of, you ask? Of course you don't, because you know. It's Noah and the Ark. Darren Aronofsky made a fucking film... Of the tale of Noah's Ark. So the guy's got a history in doing things very much influenced or surrounding religion. So this film will probably not come as a surprise if you understand that about him. So in a 2014 interview with The Atlantic regarding Noah, uh, he was asked, how would you describe yourself spiritually now? To which he replied, I think it's always changing. I think I definitely believe my biggest expression of what I believe is in the fountain. And that was a film that he had made a couple of years before. And that kind of sums it up. It's hard for me to put into words to describe. That's why I made a movie about it. So if you ever see the film, the fountain, that was one that was written and directed. And I think partially produced. If I remember the credits, right by Darren Aronofsky, it's apparently his retelling of how he, his spirituality is so if you're curious about the guy watch the film i know that i want to after reading stuff about him seems like a real interesting dude so um the fountain check it out and then finally the last little interesting tidbit before i let you go off on your everything um (laughs) so darren aronofsky is a notoriously kind of quirky guy apparently very reserved i guess is the right way to put it from what i've read And so, in a 2014 article from The New Yorker, it described the desk that he writes on for most of his uh, writing screenplays and stuff like that. And so I will describe it in quote from that article. A custom-built desk of Bastogne walnut inlaid with responsibly harvested Makassar ebony and pink ivory. 25 puzzles are concealed within it, cunning locks and springs and slides, and the front houses an octave of organ pipes you can play by sliding drawers in and out. As you solve the puzzles, you find hidden pieces of wood, each of which displays a few musical notes. When you put the pieces in order and play the resulting tune on the organ, an Irving Berlin song that was the first thing Aronofsky learned to play on the piano, it opens a secret safe, the final prize. It took him six weeks to pop the safe, and he had the plans. So I found that just to be like really quirky and interesting about the guy. He works on a puzzle desk. I like that. (laughs) Right? It's pretty, pretty cool. Pretty weird. But go figure. A guy that went to Harvard, studied social anthropology, went to film school, has crazy influences and writes on a fucking 
puzzle box for a desk. Go figure. That guy makes some weird shit. <laughs> Who'd have guessed? I love it. I think it's fascinating. I want to learn more about this guy, but this is not the Darren Aronofsky podcast. This is Creep Shows. And so now, Madeline, you get to dig into what I know you want to talk about. So please educate me on the 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 Bible. The okay, is that what it's gonna be? Um, hi, welcome to my crash course on the Bible. Oh boy, because that's basically what this movie is. Um, it's like I'm in Cub Scouts all over again. <laughs> um, yeah, this movie is an allegory for pretty much the entire Bible. I first hmm. I thought it was just like the book of Genesis, which is like the beginning of creation. Um, but after doing some more research, I'm pretty sure it's like the whole Bible. Um, okay. And because I'm me and I couldn't be bothered to write my own summary this week, but for every example I found of like a symbolism um, in this movie, I tried to go and find like an actual scripture or part of the bible oh to wow kind of so we're straight up. up going to church right now huh um kind of yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right well if anybody wants to dip out now because of the uh christianity talk by all means i understand um i'm still curious even though i don't get it okay but i'm hoping to be just educated because, okay just because <laughs> i'm going to talk about aspects of this religion that's not saying that's not me saying people should convert to this religion oh, of course not this is the religion of the church that i left so <laughs> I fully understand. I'm not <laughs> faulting you for anything. I'm just saying there's some people that just don't want to hear it. No, I get that. I just don't want people to think that I'm going to be giving them a <laughs> yeah. sermon for the next Trust 30 me, minutes. Trust me, you can't convert me. I think everyone else is safe. Yeah. No, I just want to talk about, yeah, the symbolism and where we actually see that in the Bible. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Because I genuinely have no idea. I thought this entire film was just another thing about her having fears of being a parent and then the ending happened and I just lost any idea of what any of it meant. So please, by all means, explain this to me so I can understand. All right. So again, welcome to my crash course. The house is the Garden of Eden. It is serene. It is surrounded by lush greenery and ultimately, humans abuse the privilege of the place by destroying its purity. Okay. We see that in the book of Genesis right off the bat, and I will get to that. Him is God. I honestly thought that him was like Satan for a lot of this. Uh-huh. Um, but him is just a very arrogant portrayal of God. Okay. Um, but him is God, and we see this in that he is the only character whose name is capitalized in the credits. And in the Bible, anytime God is referred to as he, his, or him, it's always a capital H. And the same goes for Jesus, actually, in the New Testament. Oh, okay. Um, People come from far and wide to meet and adore him. He is the source of the text that is worshipped. Christians believe that the Bible is the word of God. It came directly from God. Um, so the fact that, yeah, he writes this poetry that gets so much traction after having already written a previous poetry that has a lot of followers, um, that's kind of a symbolism for God in the Bible. Yeah. 
And then the last thing, which was actually what made me kind of realize when watching it that he was actually God, is when he's carrying Mother out of the fire, he tells, and he, she asks who he is. She said, he says, I'm sorry, um, I am I. And we see this in the book of Exodus with Moses and the burning bush. So I'm going to read Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 14. And for this entire thing, I will be reading from the Amplified version. Um, It is personally my favorite version of the Bible because, or (laughs) a translation, I should say, not version. Um, It's my favorite translation because I think it is the most direct. Um, But, you know, everyone... Everyone has their preference. Yeah, preferences. We're not here to tell you you're right or wrong. We're just here to do some research and convey these facts. Yeah, but in case you are familiar with these verses and you're like, wait, this doesn't sound like what I'm used to, I'm reading from the Amplified. Yeah. All right. And Moses said to God, Behold, when I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am and what I am. And I will be what I will be. And he said, You shall say this to the Israelites. I am has sent you. And so that's God's way of saying, like, I exist because I exist. Which is kind of vague. Um, yeah, I but mean. we also see this with him in the movie. Like he pulls some Daenerys type shit at the end. Yeah, and makes just it like through that fire. chilling in the fire. Yeah, totally and it hurt. shows that he p- just he exists perpetually. Okay, so when he says "I am I," that's basically just him saying m- he's parroting gone. that uh, that verse that you just read. So okay, Correct. I can see that. Um, there are two different interpretations of mother one is that she represents mary who is the mother of jesus in the Uh bible um, because she is impregnated by god she figures out she's pregnant through kind of mystical means like she just immediately knows the next morning Um, and she is forced to watch as her child is murdered by a misguided mob which also happened to mary the mother of jesus Uh or maybe mother is mother earth because mother's torture by hymns worshippers is a comparison to the way religion can make humans feel as though they're above nature and therefore don't need to try protecting it. Okay. Um, man and woman are Adam and Eve. Man is first invited into the home. He kind of manifests out of nowhere. Maybe he, him just created man and woman because he was born. Uh-huh. Um, the man has a scar on his back, and that could imply a plucked rib. And okay. So in Genesis, um, Adam is asleep, and God plucks a rib from him and seals up the wound um, to create a woman. And woman manifests the next day. Okay. They are invasive and they mess up stuff through their selfishness, which I will also get to with Adam and Eve. And they are the parents of two brothers or two sons. Okay. The study is the tree of knowledge and the crystal is the forbidden fruit. Um, Man and woman were warned not to enter the study alone or to touch the crystal. And the breaking of the crystal is the fall of man and woman. And also man blames woman for wanting to touch the crystal. Yeah, of course. I mean, historically, isn't that what men typically do? Yes. (laughs) And so... (laughs) I laugh at it because it's ridiculous, not because I condone it. Oh, I know. (laughs) 
Um, no, I thought I, I thought I wrote down the verse. Oh yes, I did. Okay. Genesis 3, 11 through 13. Mm-hmm. And he said, again, he is God. Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded that you should not eat? And the man said, the woman you gave me, she gave me fruit from the tree and I ate it. And the <laughs> Lord God said to the woman, what have you done? <laughs> I I didn't eat your fruit. The girl gave it to me. Come on, man. She made me do it. She made me. (laughs) Great excuse. And this is apparently why childbirth is painful for women. Ooh. Because that was one of God's punishments. That's not a fair shake. (laughs) Yeah, that was one of God's punishments is you shall, like, have pain during labor. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, Classy. Um, The brothers are Cain and Abel. Um, the oldest brother, who represents Cain, feels he is being denied his birthright. Um, Abel is the younger brother, comparatively. Um, oldest brother kills younger brother by bashing his head in, and older brother wanders out into the wilderness. Um, the bloody spot on the floor is the mark of Cain, um, a lot of people think. Cain is angry because God was more impressed with Abel's offering because he offered... Um, more of a sacrifice, and we see that this blood spot cannot be removed, similarly to the mark of Cain. And I'm actually about to read you the story of Cain and Abel. This is the longest little bit I'll be reading. Oh, no. But (laughs) it's really, it's like a paragraph. Um, You're so encouraging. Um, But I (laughs) was... No, the only reason that I, I knew Cain and Abel prior to, like somewhere finding out that it was a story from the bible yeah as a kid the only reason i knew the names cain and abel there was a, a matrix video game on ps2 that i played and cain and abel were two of the shitty bosses <laughs> so that goes to show my point of reference here for all these this bible quoting it's like nope i learned it from the matrix video games well, like a classy man i want our listeners to know that when we were watching this after older brother killed younger brother you were the one that was just like cain and abel that's because yeah like after a couple like probably not another five years after i played that game did i learn that cain and abel was actually a story from the bible about brothers killing each other i think it's been cemented in my head after watching supernatural <laughs> So my my point of view is entirely from pop culture on that one. But I'm please so proud of tell us this story. All right. And Cain said to his brother, I'm just kind of jumping in towards the end because, yeah, I, I cut out a lot. Cool. And Cain said to his brother, let us go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed by the reason of the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's bloodshed from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth in perpetual exile, a degraded outcast. Then Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me out this day from the face of the land, and from your face I will be hidden, and I will be a fugitive and a vagabond and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, if anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken upon them sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark or sign upon Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. So Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod wandering east of Eden. 
That's pretty harsh. Yeah, Old Testament God does not fuck around. Apparently um, not. No, he's actually surprisingly genocidal too. Um, but that's a topic for another day. Okay. Um, <laughs> Maybe we'll watch another super religious allegory movie and get to talk about genocidal Old Testament God. Yeah, but we do see that during the younger brother's like funeral, um, him makes a comment about the older brother being like out in the wilderness. So that definitely. Yeah, I remember your eyes went wide when you yeah. heard that line. About I was just him like, being yeah, it is Cain and Abel. Yeah, and then <laughs> the blood spot on the floor, the fact that that is where the younger brother died. And mm-hmm. no matter what mother does, the spot doesn't go away. Um, that can be seen as a symbol for that mark of Cain, which okay. was also just mentioned in the little, little blurb. Little blurb. Okay. Yeah. All right. So Cain and Abel, got it. Yeah. Moving on. Uh, we are we are in Exodus now, kind of. Uh, it kind of jumps around a bit, but something else that you caught on to was the frog in the bla- basement. Yeah, I knew that that had to mean something. I just had no idea what. It is a plague. So in Exodus, when the Egyptians were captive by the Egyptians. The Egyptians were captive by the Egyptians? I'm sorry, the Israelites. Okay, that makes more sense. When the Israelites were enslaved by the Egyptians, um, God sent a series of 10 plagues on the Egyptians. And so real quick, the 10 plagues were... Water turning to blood, frogs, lice, flies, livestock, pestilence, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and killing of firstborn children in that order. Ooh, cool. Yeah. I came across some articles earlier. I did not take the notes on it because mm-hmm. I already had too much other shit. Yeah. Um, about some like theories people have behind like whether or not these 10 plagues actually happened or if they did, like what could have actually cause them like scientifically um yeah so that was interested um interesting if you're a person like me who is interested in both religion and science i don't know if there are many of us um (laughs) go look that up cool yeah uh the broken sink is the flood After the guests keep disobeying mother and break the sink, mother punishes the people by sending them away. In Genesis chapter 6 through 7, God is so angry and disappointed with the evil of mankind, he floods the earth to wipe out all living things except for Noah, his family, and two of each kind of animal. Uh, The new book of poetry is the New Testament. Mother's conception of the baby is what inspires him to write. The resulting text Hmm. is spread all over the world, bringing in new worshipers, and new books are being written upon as a result of the arrival of Christ. Okay. Because um, after Jesus was crucified, um, there were like multiple, many um, gospels of Jesus, his life written, and only four made it into the canonical Bible, but there were others that were written. A lot of those were discredited because either they had too many facts that didn't, or like too many accounts that didn't align with what was in the other canonical uh-huh. gospels, or they were written too far in time after the death of Jesus for that person to have actually have a firsthand account that could be credible. Okay. Um, but yeah, p- new poetry is New Testament. 
Um, the Herald is a Herald Angel. I think that one's pretty on the nose. She's the one who's spreading around his text. Um, the head marking is a symbolism of Ash Wednesday. Um, the timeline is messy on this one because Ash Wednesday is related to the final days of Jesus and the baby hasn't been born yet. Um, but I don't really know a lot of the history around Ash Wednesday, actually. I was raised Protestant um, and in a denomination that didn't observe Ash Wednesday ever. Okay. Um, so I really can't speak any more about that. I don't really know. Um, I don't either. <laughs> moving on. Um, the newborn is Jesus. He is the offspring of God and a woman. He is killed by a pack of humans. And the eating of his body is kind of similar to the practice of communion in the Christian church. And I'm going to read John. Uh, oh, I didn't take down the chapter. The verse numbers are 53 through 56, but I don't know what good that does anybody. Hmm. Um, but this is still from John. Thanks, John. And Jesus said to you, I assure you, most solemnly I tell you, you cannot have any life in you unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. He who feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up from the dead on the last day. For my flesh is true and genuine food, and my blood is true and genuine drink. He who feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood dwells continually in me and I in him. So. Okay. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> I, really out of context that sounds real fucked up yeah um but understanding the context of where it's coming from okay <laughs> um i'm pretty sure so that's i oh, someone might come at me i'm pretty sure that's in the context of the last supper actually um okay like i'm yeah i'm pretty sure that was when Jesus uh, broke communion with his disciples was the Last Supper. And when that quote is from, like, right before Jesus knew he was going to die. Mm -hmm. um, because Jesus knew who, or he knew he was going to be betrayed. Um, but he didn't know who it was going to be. Like, he didn't know it was going to be Judas. Um, but yeah, so that's the context that actually comes from. Um yeah, as I was reading that out loud just now, I was like, this sounds... <laughs> but that's what they did to the baby also. Yeah, like, no, I mean, it makes sense. They, Taken out of context, that's really fucked up. They literally ate him. <laughs> they literally ate the baby. Um, real, We get it. Real quick, I need to take a sip of my drink. My throat is getting, getting kind of dry. All right, we are almost through this. Uh, we are jumping forward to the book of Revelation now. Okay. Which... I really had to reel myself in from going down like a major rabbit hole with this one. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, I imagine if the book of Revelations is halfway as confusing as the last like 20 minutes of this film, it's a real mind fuck. Yeah. Um, so much symbolism. Um, lots of very just interesting different creatures and angels. Um so as I mentioned last week, I like my minor is in religious studies and about two years ago, yeah, I guess it was two years ago now, I took a class on um, like Judeo-Christian apocalypses 
And so for that class, I did get to read a lot of the stuff that didn't make it into the canonical Bible, which was really cool. Um, But I also got to read the book of Revelation. And so I think it's super interesting. I I love apocalypse literature. Um, I've only read Western apocalypses, but I would love to read some like Eastern culture ones. Um, Oh, I'm sure they're a trip. Oh, yeah. Most apocalypses seem to be. Yeah, I really like reading apocalypses. I don't know what that says about me. But I mean, also Buffy the Vampire Slayer is like one of my favorite shows. You're also obsessed with murder. So, you know. I'm not obsessed with murder. Maybe you're going to be my apocalypse at some point. I don't know. I'm not obsessed with murder, but Uh I am obsessed with Buffy and Angel. And both of those shows are apocalyptic. Um, Anyway, so the gasoline in the furnace is a representation of the seventh bowl and so in revelation 16 um we see an image of seven different angels pouring out bowls essentially and each time one of these bowls is poured shit goes down so i'm just gonna read through what that shit is real quick um so first is the harmful and painful souls um I'm sorry, harmful and painful sores for the souls of those who bore the mark of the beast. Um, Then second is killing all remaining sea life. Third is all fresh sources of water are turned into blood. Um, Fourth is the sun will become extremely hot and will burn people. Five is the Antichrist's kingdom is covered in darkness and people will start to gnaw on their tongues in pain. Um, number six is the Euphrates River is dried up, preparing a way for the Antichrist. The false prophet will deceive the remaining world leaders and prepare for the final battle against Jesus at a place called Armageddon. Bowl number seven announces the end of the judgments on the world. The greatest earthquake ever happens and the world crumbles. The apocalypse. So wait, Armageddon is a place where Jesus and anti-Jesus fight. Mm Mm-hmm okay yep that just sounds like some dragon ball z shit like quick let's get away from the city to prevent from destroying humanity but in the aftermath of our intense battle the entire planet's gonna blow up yes um it is the final boss fight as many people might refer to as you might look at it yeah i mean (laughs) actually okay yeah yeah go on that's the best way i can explain it to you actually (laughs) I mean, are, are there different levels of apocalypse? <laughs> Apparently, I've had a whole whacked out perspective of what the apocalypse has been for a long time, I guess. Because <laughs> I never knew it was just like an anime battle between Jesus and anti-Jesus. That's pretty nuts. Oh, God, we've lost all the Christians. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I was upfront about this. No, I know. <laughs> Uh, and i feel like i i just never knew armageddon was a place yeah yeah i thought it was just a synonym for the apocalypse but it has become a synonym for the apocalypse i think it can be used as that yeah no and i know i do try to be respectful of all religions part of me feels like i can poke fun at this one a little bit more because i was kind of forced into it for the first 21 years of my life yeah um but Everybody's got yeah. their beliefs. 
Yeah. We're not telling anybody you're wrong. We're just no. saying how it relates to this movie and how I don't understand any yeah. of it. And I'm not so. even saying I don't necessarily believe in any of this anymore. I just didn't have a good experience with the community. And, and so we'll how is your research kind of into this film? How is that kind of shaped what you're thinking now? Anything interesting? Anything that you picked up on in the film specifically that you knew of early on that you haven't already talked about? Like, what do you mean? I still have a couple more things, but, like, what do you mean? Oh, okay. No, I'll just go on then. Okay. Um. Well, yeah, the explosion at the end is the apocalypse. Everyone dies except for God, which is also a thing that happens in Revelation. Um, and the final minutes are either the beginning of a post-apocalyptic heavenly kingdom or, and I like this one the most... A reference to a translation of the first line in Genesis. So many translations say in the beginning. But mm-hmm. some translations, such as the Jewish study Bible, yeah. say in a beginning. Which implies hmm. that there could have been more than one beginning. Yeah, multiple beginnings. And cyclical. him is just test running the earth over and over again until he finds a mother that works for what he wants. Okay. So, yeah, uh, that was the last bit I had on it. And after, like, reading through this and then watching it, I kind of said this, too, I think, after we watched it. I picked up on, I think throughout this movie, we see three different mothers. Yeah, because there's the one right in the very beginning that we see crumbling to ash. And then as soon as he places the, the stone in the little setting... That's when the house rebuilds itself. And we see J-Law, which, yeah, that, oh, we need to we talk about J-Law in a minute. Our, our main character mother, which is Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> and then after the climax and she's burned, then we see the whole house reset again. And it's a third unnamed mother. So, yeah, we, we definitely see three different mothers here in the film. Yeah, definitely. Um, I thought that was interesting. Yeah. I really thought man and woman were going to come back and play a bigger part in it than they did. I don't know. Yeah, I I didn't understand a lot of that relationship. Like, why was woman so interested in their sexuality? Oh, yeah. That was kind of a weird thing for me. I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer did a great job um, playing woman. Yeah, everyone in this movie was great. Yeah, they were all a trip. Um, yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer's Eve did a really good job. I think, I don't know if maybe, mm, I'm just trying to think like maybe they were supposed to also just be very archetypal men and women in a way like, you know, she is a woman. So her purpose is to have babies. Okay. I guess I could I see know. that. I don't know. I'd. I'd be curious how the man fits into that Ed Harris's but, character. Yeah, I was just trying to think about that, so I don't really know. Because he's always just sickly and yeah. commanding, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. Um, and I mean, everything I just said, like, it's not... These symbolisms aren't entirely clear-cut. Like, there are a lot of people who watch this movie and don't pick up on any... Hey. yeah well yeah i mean that's kind of the point of symbolisms though is it's meant to be interpreted like sure as the creator you would have your own interpretation but you've got to understand as a creator that whatever you intend 
for something to, to symbolize isn't necessarily how it's going to be perceived. And I think that's a lot of what's interesting from a, a creator's perspective is just seeing the different ways that other people can perceive your story and kind of maybe find new insights into it that you hadn't intended from the beginning. So, yeah, I mean, I didn't catch a lot of it and I thought it was a totally captivating film pretty much all throughout. I got really confused at the end, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's kind of the point of the symbolism. And I, I like it. Yeah. And I mean, looking up this stuff definitely did help me understand a lot of stuff. Like I was confused about the injury on his back. Um, but I understand yeah, now. I thought it was like lung cancer or something. Yeah, no, honestly, I did too. Or like you later said it might have been TB. And I was like, yep, it's tuberculosis. Yeah, yeah, because he was um, coughing a lot. My favorite consumption. Um, and what else? There was something else I would say. Oh, and then doing this research made me realize too, like kind of how I said how the man and woman just manifest. Yeah. That, you know him and mother are in this house just the two of them their entire existence is within their home and all the shots that we get of the outside there are no roads exactly which is also why Not that i remember anyway. yeah kind of like the garden of eden like thing it's just in the middle of nowhere um it's kind of this little oasis and so him might yeah i think him really did just manifest this man and woman out of boredom could be yeah and just yeah um but then similar to in the bible like once the man and woman you know they cross the line that he said yeah they do the one thing that was forbidden um but the woman told me to oh my god she just wanted to touch it oh the woman you gave me yeah <laughs> oh it okay. wasn't me anyway it was the one i man <laughs> sorry um, no you're fine <laughs> no just yeah i think yeah he created these people because he wanted something to entertain him and then as soon as they broke the rule um he regretted it in a way yeah just but like, then he got a cult. But then, yes, but then he got a cult. And I mean, who doesn't want a cult? I want a cult. <laughs> if there's one thing that we've learned from Umbrella Academy <laughs> Season 2, <laughs> it's that you want a cult. <laughs> uh, uh, sorry, we just got done watching that like a little while ago. It's still fresh on the brain. Pretty great, pretty funny show. The second season was definitely better, too. I can't say I it's thought. entirely funny. It's... Worth a watch yeah. if you're interested in that kind of thing. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah. But no, doing this research definitely helped me get a lot more out of this movie. I'm trying to think if there were any other like big symbols that looking up on this made me realize. Uh, do you? I don't know. I just threw a lot of information at you. I don't know how much of that you actually retained or paid attention to even i mean it's um, all confusing for me anyway yeah no i was gonna um, ask do you have any questions for me uh, there's just a lot to go over maybe if we were to watch it back like and just go through each scene and see what kind of pops out at you then yeah i might have some more questions um but right now no it seems like you covered a lot of it um i it's weird that him 
says I am I. And I think that was the thing that was for me finally the point where I was just like, oh, okay. This is not just some vampire or whatever the hell I thought he was from the start. Like, I I didn't think for sure that this was going to be a a really intense religious allegory. Like, I thought it was going to be... I saw all the uh, the articles that were released when the film was originally releasing in theaters. And I remember thinking, oh, okay, a lot of religious imagery. Cool. Like, that's it was getting a lot of flack for that. And I remember watching it and being like, this doesn't seem that religious to me. <laughs> and I guess it's just because I'm a fucking ignorant. Well, so thanks for educating me. Well, yeah, this seems, uh, now that you've gone over all this stuff, it seems pretty... On the nose, honestly, like if you're thinking about it in those terms, yeah. Well, like I said too, um, I was worried that this was going to be kind of a jump scare type movie because I remember when there were trailers for it. Yeah. And I don't know, from what I remember, I thought that's what it was going to be. Um, It very much was not. Yeah. Um, I really did not know what we were getting into with this movie. I didn't really have any expectations. Um. I want to talk about just real quick, though, how fucking great Jennifer Lawrence was in this. Um, I really liked getting to see pretty much the only thing I've seen Jennifer Lawrence in was The Hunger Games and that movie she played about the one or she played like the Wonder Mop woman in. Um, Wonder Mop woman? Yeah, it's called Joy. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But I was telling Ian this, I think Katniss Everdeen, at least on screen, is one of the most one-dimensional characters right behind Bella Swan. Um, So (laughs) it was really nice getting to see Jennifer Lawrence in a role that really just showed off how good of an actress she is. Um, You know, I think a big reason why I felt so just stressed out and frustrated like legitimately frustrated and angry for mother throughout this entire movie was because of jennifer lawrence's facial expressions yeah she's very nuanced she's definitely a hell of an actress deserves a lot more serious roles than some of the stuff that i've seen her from because i know hunger games and i've seen her in those god-awful x-men movies um but yeah she definitely kicked ass in this one and being matched up with Javier Bardem as him, like, it was such an interesting sort of dynamic between the two of them because he was so much larger than life. Like, he had that air about him of ego. Uh, and, like, the the two of them just played very well off of each other, I think. So, hell of a job. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, do you have... Any last thoughts on this movie um, before we give it a favorite character and a creep scale rating? Because I can just keep going on forever about this. If No, I'm, I'm actually curious to hear what you rate it and who your favorite character was. All right. Um, I rate this on... Hmm, it's not quite a 10... I don't know. No more half numbers. <laughs> <laughs> One through ten, no halves. That's cheating. You gave something an eleven. Didn't you give Hereditary an eleven? Yeah, but I, I didn't I give did it a too. ten point five. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Semantics. Mm. All right. So, what do you rate this one? Um, 
I give this one an eight because, like I said, it stressed me the fuck out. Um, it did a really good job at that. Jennifer Lawrence was amazing. I thought it was really amazing storytelling. Um, but other than really the execution style shootings, um, that was pretty brutal. Yeah, that was pretty fucked up. Um, seeing the ba- like them eating the baby and them beating Jennifer Lawrence over and over and calling her, you know, a tramp and a cunt and all those horrible things. Mm-hmm. Um what else I can say? Oh, and that very end scene when we realize, you know, when he crushes the heart, like that. Yeah, that it's just like, oh shit, chills. it's the same thing over yeah. and over. Other than that, it wasn't that creepy. Yeah. I have to say. Okay. It wasn't, yeah. I wouldn't consider this a horror movie, really. No, it's... Um, and I know that's not really exclusively what we do, but... No, I mean, we do films that are just generally uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Okay. So ultimately, you said eight. An huh? eight. And then my favorite character, I mean, part of me wants to say the fool, which is who breaks the sink just because it's Emily Hampshire, Stevie from Schitt's Creek. Schitt's Creek, of course. Um, But no, really, I know, like, I'm not great at recognizing actors always, but she said two words and we saw her face for one second and I was like, oh, that's Stevie. Yep. <laughs> You've also rewatched Shit's Creek like three times already. I'm on my so third rewatch right now. I don't yeah. even know why you're surprised by that. <laughs> I love it so much. Um, but no, Mother was definitely my favorite character. Um, okay. Yeah, she was just really well written. Um, Jennifer Lawrence really just did such a good job as that character too. Um, yeah. She did a good job. Okay. What are your final thoughts, rating, favorite character? Mm, well, if I had to give it a creep scale rating, for me, I would say this is probably six. A lot of it was just, it, it went over my head for me, because again, apparently this is very religious, and I didn't get it um, because of the kind of impression that it had had on me in the first half, like up until the entire cult following shows up um i i had a lot of conceptions of of what it might be and where the story might be going and they were just totally squashed as soon as the followers started showing up and so at that point i just got very confused and everything became very surrealist like it's supposed to um so based on prior knowledge and just personal preference yeah this one's like a six for me um okay i respect that I think understanding more about it based on what you've talked about here, uh, I will probably appreciate it again in the future, but it's going to be a couple of years before I have a desire to watch it and try and look at it through that lens. Yeah. Um, okay. But if I had to pick a favorite character, um, it would probably be Donald Gleason's character, the older brother. So the, uh, which one? The Kane? Uh, Kane, Kane's yeah. the older brother. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I I think it would have been him. Why? Because first of all, that dude's also a fantastic actor. Look him up uh, if you don't know anything about him. Um, I don't think I do. I'll look him up after. Yeah, this. Donald Donald Gleason. Um, but anyway, so I liked him because he was the only one that was just like, look out for yourself. Everybody's gonna leave you, and he just fucks off into the nowhere. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's just like, you got to take care of you. That's all. <laughs> just dips. Yeah. So 
it was pretty nuts. Um, yeah, I, I guess I would have said I liked him the most because he was the least confusing. He was the most straightforward character in the entire thing. He was angry. Like, he first said time you see angry. him, he's pissed <laughs> off that he's not getting his inheritance from his soon-to-be-dead dad. He fights his brother, accidentally kills him, and then he's just like, well, fuck, I killed my brother. Peace. I'm out of here. And that's it. Like, no, nothing to interpret, at least as I thought. <laughs> He's just, I'm straightforward. I'm in, I'm out, I'm done. Boom. I like. I liked say, that. It was very refreshing. Yeah, I like how you say nothing to interpret, though, but yet that was the one thing from the movie you interpret. <laughs> well, yeah, but I didn't think it was literally supposed to be Cain and Abel. <laughs> I didn't understand that much about it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the Matrix fair. game, okay? I told you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> You're funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm glad we watched this one. Yeah, me too. It was a definitely a learning experience for me. And one thing that I took away from it, even on top of all the Bible stuff we've just gone over, is that Darren Aronofsky, even when he makes a film that is totally unrelatable to someone, it's still an interesting film. So I really want to check out his other ones. I want to check out some of his other work too. And watch now, I'm going to go a lot of people coming at me being like, this movie isn't religious at all, and here's why. Yeah, right. Turns out this is all a story of some guy in space i don't know Ooh, if you do have any th- alternate yeah if you have any alternate that. uh alternate takes or on this film yeah definitely let us know send them our way that sounds interesting all right well if you don't have anything else do you want to announce next week's movie which i'm super excited for? oh i know you're super excited for this one honestly i'm pretty excited for this one i've considered many times over the last 12 years since it was released of just buying it outright when I used to go movie hunting a lot. Oh, Um, you've seen it before? No. Oh, okay. No, and that's the thing is like, it was always such an interesting premise to me that I know that I would want it if I ever picked it up. Like if I ever got to see it, I'd want to watch it again. Oh, okay. But so the film that we're going to do, and this is a bit of a departure for people, it is Repo, the genetic opera. So that one's going to be dope. It's a musical. And it has Carmen from Spy Kids and Giles from Buffy. So all the reason to watch it. Yep, just those two reasons. I don't know anything about the movie besides that's that, but that's why I'm excited about it. All I know is that it's it's about a guy that does repossessions on bodily organs, and it's a musical. Like the, You can't go wrong with this. It's going to be insane. <laughs> I'm excited for this. <laughs> I'm excited too. And it's going to be really cool. Did we already say that it's on Prime? Did I already say that it's on Prime? You just said that it's on Prime, so I think you got that covered. All right, great. Hey, everyone, if you didn't hear, it's on Prime. Hey, you know what? Normally we don't announce it, and then I forget to tweet it out. Hey. So we're making progress, guys. We're getting better and worse and better at the same time. It's a process. It is a process. We're learning. All right. So thank you for listening. If you have movie suggestions for us, you can send them to creepshowspodcast at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at creepshowspod. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash creepshowspodcast. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. It really helps us out. It helps us get onto some of those charts. And we hope you join us next week. Stay safe out there. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.